Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 336. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2018, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for the new monthly Slow Flowers Journal, which you can find in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 336. Stephen and Kiju Hong Elder are an Albuquerque-based husband-husband duo that love gardening, growing, and arranging flowers, eco-dyeing, and more. They love all things beautiful and natural and hope to help their clients cultivate a more beautiful life. Stephen and Kiju describe their business as, quote, not quite a farm, but not quite a garden. Experienced growers who cultivate boutique, heirloom, and unusual floral material for table and vase, the men originally called their business the Hong Elder Floral Workroom. They recently rebranded, and they now grow flowers for their own design work, as well as to provide select florists with boutique floral material. Stephen and Kiju have been members of slowflowers.com for more than a year, and I've loved watching their Instagram feed filled with flower growing and floral design images. Visiting New Mexico again is on my list of destinations for 2018, mostly because my writing mentor, Paula Panich, now lives there, but also because of the burgeoning slow flower scene in New Mexico. You've previously heard from Emily Calhoun of Floriography, who's shared her story in past episodes of this podcast, first about flower farming and most recently about opening a new retail venture in uh, Albuquerque. And I will uh, have links to those episodes at today's show notes. But now Emily has company, including a number of micro flower farms and farmer florists who are helping to boost interest and awareness in local and seasonal flowers. Together with Stephen and Kiju, this community has also launched the New Mexico Flower Collective, a group of flower growers, farmer florists, and other creatives who are passionate about locally grown, sustainably grown New Mexico flowers and supporting local businesses. Stephen and Kiju also own Desert Garden Silk Ribbon, which they sell through an Etsy store featuring natural plant-based hand-dyed silk ribbons and textiles. Here's a little bit more about Stephen and Kiju. Stephen, the designer, has worked for years designing flowers for weddings and high-end events. Inspired by color and seasonality from the garden, Stephen combines his backgrounds as a horticulturist and floral designer to grow and create arrangements that are lush, full, and grand. He recently wrote that his first garden was an absolute mess, filled with zucchini, cucumbers, three types of pumpkins, scarlet runner beans, morning glory vines, and a few sad tomato plants shoved into a raised bed in his parents' front yard. 
It was from that garden that Stephen's love of growing and his love for plants first started. He went to school for horticulture, learning about xylem and phloem and tissue culture and greenhouse propagation. He learned how to identify trees, how to propagate tulips, and about breeding new species, loving every single moment of it. After school, Stephen accepted a position with the Lauritsen Botanical Gardens in Omaha, Nebraska. He was soon in charge of the Victorian Garden, the Peony Collection, and an English perennial border. He also maintained the historical Crook House Gardens and worked part-time for floral designer Kyle Robino, a friend and mentor. Stephen's journey into floral design started as a creative outlet from gardening and horticulture, but soon grew into a way of life. He studied floral design, then worked for several years both with talented designers and eventually striking out on his own as a freelance designer. Kiju, the farmer, is a hobbyist gardener. His passion for growing plants expanded into becoming a flower grower. Obsessed with nature since he was a little boy, Kiju's interest in nature and biology has evolved into his passion for gardening and growing. Kiju ensures that the flowers are grown with love and care at Table and Vase. He recently wrote about meeting Stephen in Omaha when he was working at Lawrenson, saying, Although a dentist by trade, in my off time, I had been teaching myself how to grow flowers from what I had learned on the internet, a lot of time spent on Dave's garden website and poring over gardening blogs. When Stephen and I met, our love of plants and gardening didn't take long to surface. Although I tend more towards xeric and full sun, and Stephen tends more toward high moisture and shade, we got along well. We were married and moved to New Mexico within the year. After our first year gardening in New Mexico, we had a discussion regarding flower farming. Both of us were avid followers of Erin Benzacane since her early days and were enthralled with her fields of blooms as well as her very insightful tips for growing flowers. What would it be like to be growing not a dozen zinnias, but hundreds of zinnias? Would we be able to handle thousands of seedlings as opposed to 50? We decided definitively that yes, we wanted to do this, and yes, we were more than capable of doing so. Suddenly, our garden beds were not large enough for all the plants we wanted, so we prepared more. We found ourselves buying seeds and dahlia tubers and drip irrigation and digging and planting. It was terrifying and hard work, yet I had never felt more alive in my life. I had found something that lit a fire within me, staying up late and reading information on how to grow and harvest sunflowers, scouring the internet for tips on succession planting and harvesting, and dreaming of rows of flowers and big bouquets. While I really enjoyed flower farming, I also realized that I did miss gardening without the intent to cut and harvest. Sometimes you just grow it because you want to grow it, not because it will be a good seller or hold up well in the vase. Stephen and I recently made the conscious decision that this year we're returning to gardening for ourselves as well. So, I know you'll enjoy hearing from Stephen. We'll have to get Kiju's voice on in future interviews. Please visit the show notes for today's episode 336 to see photos of the flowers that Stephen and Kiju grow and design with and follow links to their many projects, including workshops and the Desert Garden Silk Company. You'll also find their social places so you can connect with the new brand, Table and Vase. So, let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am delighted today to welcome Stephen Hong Elder, who with his husband, Kiju Hong Elder, own a business that's been known with one name, and now it has a new name. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Deborah. 
Maybe you can tell us about your um, your business name change and a little bit about how people may know you and what you'd like them to know you as now. Yeah, so um, we um, recently rebranded. Um, we were Hong Elder Floral Workroom, which was a mouthful. And um, when we would like introduce ourselves to people, it took them a couple of times to um, get our name correct. Mm-hmm. And so we just recently rebranded as Table and Vase. Um, for the last year, we've kind of been sharing Hong Elder Floral Workroom and then our textile dyeing business, Desert Garden Silk, which just kind of became um, a handful. So focusing it in as Table and Vase was um, a lot easier and I think a very good decision. Oh. Um, it's a great so we're name. really excited about our. <laughs> thank you. We're really excited about our rebrand. Um, table um, is our table linens and our silk dyeing business, and I do a good deal of garden consulting, and so I spend a lot of time at the drafting table. So the table and table and vase is the drafting table and the dining room table and the garden table, and just the place where where you work. I love and, that. Um, and then vase comes in on the floral side of things because we believe in um, gardens with a purpose. And if I can't cut from my garden, I'm not happy. <laughs> and so that's where the vase comes in. Um, the vase is also the workshops that we teach, uh, floral arranging, dinner parties, and is more the social side of um, table and vase. Yeah, the, the work side and the play side, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. That's great. Very much. Yeah. So you're based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I don't know how you quite got on, on my radar other than I think we just started following each other on Instagram. We found out we had a couple of mutual friends. Um, but I'm so curious. You know, I think before I met Emily Calhoun um, of Floriography, I had the assumption that it was impossible to grow cut flowers in the state of New Mexico. Now you come along and you're creating a very vibrant business um, over the last several years. So I'd love to know your journey to flower farming and the floral industry in general. And how do you and Kiju um, kind of envision making New Mexico, um, you know, the center of your business for the foreseeable future? So it's really incredible just um, to kind of like back up talking about flower farming in New Mexico. There's this humongous misconception that we're just like this really hot desert climate. Now we're, we're high desert. So we're not like the desert in California. We're, we're about a mile above sea level. And um, when it's a hundred degrees outside, if you step into the shade, it feels like it's 80 degrees. And we do, we do get precipitation. We do get snowfall in the winter. Um, and we are relatively easy to grow. And coming from Nebraska, where we were fighting that bitter cold in the wintertime, what we've realized is we can overwinter cannas and dahlias and pineapple lilies in the ground. And so we wow. have a, actually a relatively easy time gardening here. So pretty much everything that we grew back in Nebraska, we've really brought over to New Mexico to, uh, with us. Um, but I got my, um, career started when I was working on my horticulture degree in, um, horticulture and landscape design and floral design. I have three college degrees. Mm. Um, wow. Where did you go to school? Um, I went to school back in Nebraska and, um, we moved to New Mexico because my husband is a dentist and unfortunately public horticulture does not pay the bills the same way. (laughs) So, so we moved, um, you know, 1600 miles 
to the sunny high desert of New Mexico, and we have made a home here in Albuquerque. Mm. How long have um, you? Uh, how long ago did you make that move? Oh, it was three years ago to the date um, wow. yesterday. Wow, you're kidding. And then just to talk about the climactic differences between mm -hmm. uh, Nebraska and uh, New Mexico, do you, like, what are the gardening zone differences? I don't know if that's a, compa a relevant comparison. Um, so where we were at in Nebraska, we were a zone 5B. And um, when we moved here, we're now a zone 7A, 7B. New Mexico has five climactic mm -hmm. zones, and where mm -hmm. we live tucked into um, what is considered the North Valley here in Albuquerque. Um, it runs along the the Rio Grande River and is more commonly known as like the Bosque. Mm. It is very green and lush. And when you're higher up um, in Albuquerque and you're overlooking um, Albuquerque, you can see this beautiful green strip that they call Albuquerque's Green Belt just mm. running through the middle. And we're tucked in there. Mm. Um, so the the climactic zone difference, we're two zones warmer. Mm -hmm. um, it's significantly less humid, but we do have um, a significantly colder winter where we live in um, Albuquerque than the rest of the Albuquerqueans. Mm -hmm. But you're you're able to really um, grow more temperate plants than uh, you would have been able to grow uh, in Nebraska, which I find really interesting. We. And we grew the most beautiful Gloriosa lily last summer, and um, seeing our dahlias just thrive. Um, coming from Nebraska, the season was way too short for the majority of the dinner plate dahlias, mm -hmm. and so you would get them in the ground. You know, last frost wasn't even until the towards the end of May, so you'd get your dahlias in the ground, and you wouldn't even see that first bloom until August, and then by end of September beginning of October, you're already looking at your first frost sure. and they're finished. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I've heard that lament for many, many of the Midwest folks, um, which is probably why a lot of them grow annuals as their primary crops. Although I know a, they grow of a lot of, they grow a lot of annuals. And what we've realized is the dahlias here are perennials. But the funny thing about New Mexico is we get warm relatively early. So you can start planting out a lot of those tender annuals in March. And so we're putting our dahlias out in March and they don't even finish blooming until usually about halfway through November. Gosh, that's great. Now you started in public horticulture, but you have a landscape design background. And um, did you say also floral design um, in from yeah. college? <laughs> So I actually earned an associate's degree in floral design, if you can believe that. It was That's pretty cool. exciting. That's um, cool. Yeah, no, I, I do I do love it. And what I realized with myself um, is I get bored very easily. So having lots of different things coming at me in my business is perfect. I couldn't see myself doing just one thing. I want to do too many things. Yeah. Um, so I figured as long as they're all garden related, it all it all goes together cohesively. I love it. So when you first arrived in New Mexico, <laughs> did you think that you were going to try to get a job at a, a botanical garden or was it just um, a chance so, for a change and a reinvention? So the funny thing is when we moved to New Mexico, we um, made the decision that I was going to be more stay at home and I was going to do all of these like 
domestic house chores and stuff. And after about four months, making my husband 10 pounds, making my husband 10 pounds fatter (laughs) and just being absolutely like bored and trying to come up with projects, we decided to um, relaunch my floral business that I had started back in Nebraska. And that first year was a struggle, just being noticed, um, figuring out what we wanted to do, getting that first wedding. And um, by the end of the first year, more events started to come in. And that second year of growing was fabulous. We bought a hoop house. We planted 5,000 annuals. We had about 400 dahlias growing. And we thought we had done really well. And then that third year, oh my God, last summer was a nightmare. We had... We had eight weddings and we had eight dinner parties and we had floral shops that were contacting us because they wanted to buy our materials. And so what happened last summer was we grew way too fast. Mm. We -hmm. grew way too fast and I couldn't handle it. And it got to the point where I said to Kiju, I said, we haven't had a day off in four months. It was just, it was incredibly busy. And so over the past few months, we've kind of like used last year as, okay, we have a really good product that people want and we need to hyper-focus it and make it much more manageable for Mm -hmm. the two of us Mm -hmm. because we have to work around my husband's full-time job. And this next year we're offering workshops. Um, We aren't taking on any weddings. And what I realized with weddings is it's a lot of work compressed into a very tiny amount of time and it's very high stress. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is you, when you're starting out and I've been in this position too, you don't want to say no to anything because you're not really sure. You know, a lot of re- business referral driven and you, you want to make everybody happy. And I <laughs> think it, it, ta- it takes a bit of a, a, a courageous risk to step back and say, we're going to focus on what we know and what we want to do and not, and, and have that clarity and what is essential for your business. And then I guess be courageous enough to turn work down, which I'm sure is what's happening with your wedding reputation, right? You know, what I've realized in the past six months is the word no is very empowering Mm -hmm. and it really, it makes life more enjoyable to learn to say no. (laughs) And, and what I've realized is I'm working on, um, I'm working towards my teacher license and Ikebana school that I belong to. And that is something that makes me so happy. Mm. Garden consulting makes me happy. Workshops make me happy. Floral arranging for myself and for my friends makes me happy. And what I realized after last year was weddings don't make either Kiju or I are happy. And so it was, why do something that doesn't make you happy when there's five other things that we could do that make us happy? Right, right. And I guess where you'll say yes to weddings is if you are approached by a florist who wants to buy your cut flowers for their clients. Is that, are you going to continue doing that? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, We're actually getting ready um, to start working on um, our fresh cuts list for 2018. I can't believe we're already talking about 2018. And our offerings for florists, um, we're getting ready to um, announce that we are completely booked up with um, florist clients that we can take on for 2018. Just because um, 
everybody has found us. Mm. And um, there's actually two of us here in Albuquerque that have established flower farms. Um, that's myself and then Caitlin Marie, who works for Vita Verde Farm. And she is a fantastic flower grower. I love her materials. And she saved my butt so many times this last summer because what happened was we didn't have enough flowers to go around. And so for my weddings, I had to lean on other flower growers in the community. And it was, we kind of worked together Mm. and and that was such a fantastic community that kind of has formed over the past few years. That's so cool. In fact, didn't you start a New Mexico uh, cooperative or collective? I mean, I think it's just the early stages, but uh, is that- we did. We um, we we launched um, um, an ad space um, there on slowflowers.com um, mm-hmm. for the New Mexico Slow Flowers Collective, and um, we are actually on Sunday evening. We are having six flower farmers over to our house, um, along with um, Emily Calhoun, and we're just going to have a social dinner and we're going to talk about what everybody's growing and just talking about flowers. And we've now met a couple times and it's a lot of fun. Wow. That's great. Oh, I want to hear how that goes. Take a group photo. We'll add it to the show notes <laughs> for <laughs> this episode. And, and there's a couple um, flower farmers who have just started their businesses this year. And it's really exciting to see, flower farming, just flower growers in general, it, it doubled that first year mm-hmm. and it has doubled again. And to see that there's six or seven of us here in New Mexico is pretty exciting. Well, I, I agree completely. I'm, I'm thrilled to see that happening. And because um, it seems like the consumer base in the Santa Fe, Albuquerque area is pretty progressive and like dialed into where their food comes from and kind of other sustainable lifestyle choices. Am I wrong at that assumption or is that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, We were actually a little baffled when we moved here um, just on how prevalent farmers markets were. You know, we come from a city that is just as large as um, the one that we moved to. Albuquerque and Omaha were relatively the same size. But the amount of farmers markets that are here versus there, it's night and day. Mm. Um, there's more restaurants that are more local produce driven. Um, there's just a bigger market for that. And when you start to talk about locally grown flowers, God, people just get so excited when you start to talk about locally grown flowers. And then they start to tell stories about their grandma who gardened or their aunt who gardened. And then I think that locally grown flowers bring out a lot of memories in people. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I that, think that's what helps. It's really helping to make it popular too, because it's something that's nostalgic for people. Because I think that in 2018 with the way people are always working, I don't think they have a lot of time to garden or gardening very much is a luxury in this day and age. And so when you offer something from your garden, people eat that up. Mm-hmm. They, they love that feeling. They love that feeling of taking home sunflowers and putting them in a mason jar on their kitchen island. And they can say, these were grown here in Albuquerque. Yeah, that's so cool. And your clients who are hiring you for garden consults, are they hiring you to design cutting gardens or full landscapes? You know, cutting gardens, full landscapes. Um, I have a landscape design background. Um, I only touch on the herbaceous side of things. 
I don't look at people's, um, I only look at existing sidewalks and ponds and mm-hmm. I don't touch any of the hardscape type, mm-hmm. uh, side of things. But what I've seen is so many landscape designers um, who are exemplary with hardscapes, but they have a very limited plant palette. Mm-hmm. And so what I come back and do is um, I revamp the garden side mm-hmm. of, of a landscape. So you're doing, the, you're doing the planting design, the uh, plant selection, that sort of thing. Yes. Um, because like a lot of times, landscape designers will hook up um, deals with um, local nurseries and they'll order a massive quantity of like 20 different items. And so you'll find that the yards and the gardens have the same, um, the same stuff in them. Mm-hmm. And I think that having a diversity of plants, having many things that you can cut from is, is just wonderful. I love gardens with purpose. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of ties in with your your floral business, but also this new channel of income you've developed, which is your textile business. Can you talk a little bit about that? And is that something that you and Kiju just started in 2017? That is something, yes, that is something that we started in 2017. Um, we're calling our line of, our line of um, silk, ribbon, and textiles and table runners Desert Garden Silk. Mm. And Everything is plant-based dyes. It's completely handmade. I hand tear the silk. I pull out the iron and I carefully iron everything. And it's a very laborious um, (laughs) (laughs) undertaking. Um, It takes a lot of work, but it is very much um, a labor of love. And everything that we produce is beautiful. And then seeing that on a bridal bouquet is just like absolutely Oh, it's wonderful to like get back photography from people's weddings and to see our ribbon on that beautiful bouquet. It's almost like the crowning jewel, if mm-hmm, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And, and are, then yeah, we, and you're are you using plants that are like indigenous to New Mexico or just I- any kind of uh, anything you grow in the whole spectrum? I, I'm just curious. We're using a few. Um, so some of our dyes. Um, like our sandalwood dyes, we have to purchase those in. Um, for 2018, we're looking at growing um, a big stand of indigo because mm. fresh indigo gives you a very different hue than um, the fermented indigo that most people are um, familiar with. So when you use fresh indigo, it comes off more as like a teal color, mm. whereas um, the fermented indigo that people are very used to is that very traditional, very royal blue indigo. Um, so we do a lot of that. We do black beans. We're doing a lot of the eco dyeing. So that's where we take a big piece of um, fabric and we soak it in um, like um, in some sort of chemical agent mm-hmm. that allows the dyes to stick to the fabric. And then we take leaves and flowers and marigolds and we'll take... Um, all of these different materials and just roll it up very tightly into this piece of fabric. And then we steam that piece of fabric for several hours. And then what you're left with is this beautiful canvas covered in blotches and imprints and all of these like different colors. And the eucalyptus brings out these beautiful rust colors. And then we'll turn those into table runners, napkins, um, and silk ribbon. It's almost like printmaking instead of dyeing. It is. Love that. So you're not, of course, you were just raving about how beautiful this these ribbons looked on bridal bouquets, but now you're going to have to let those 
ribbons out of your hands to let somebody else design with them because you're not doing weddings this year, right? I mean, is that yes, going to kill I'm, you? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, because I keep saying to Kiju because we keep getting requests for weddings and I start to look at the wedding on like the email. I'm like, Kiju, would you like, I know we don't have anything going on this weekend. And he's just like, no, he's just like, no, you said no. And so he's holding me to that because he's like, you have, you have eight workshops planned and you have two workshops that you're looking at traveling out of the States. I mean, out of um, New Mexico for, and it's just like, yeah. And he's like, plus you have all these dinner parties that we have lined up for the course of um, summer 2018. And it was like, yeah. I know how that works. We'll never have a day off. <laughs> well, I guess I guess you'll incorporate the textiles and the ribbons into your workshops, and that, and then you'll have beautiful photography from those uh, student creations, right? Right. right. Yeah. And I'm also looking forward to taking flowers into flower shops this year. Um, we, what I've realized is um, through volunteering and putting on the floral design show at the botanical gardens in the springtime and selling flowers, I've become good friends with a lot of the flower shops mm. that I deliver to. Mm-hmm. And so instead of it being more like a customer interaction where you don't really know this person, what I find is I end up spending about an hour of time um, every single week when I drop off flowers at the flower shops because all of these people have become my friends and we just, oh my God, we just start chatting and Mm. then all of a sudden it's like, oh wow, I've been here for an hour, time to move on to the next (laughs) one. Well, um, you had mentioned that you're going to limit the number of florists that you sell to. So what is your ideal kind of customer base going to look like? And I I understand why you're doing it. I think you want to make sure that you service your existing customers and not, not, not show up with an empty bucket on deliveries, right? So the first year that we did flower shop sales, it was wonderful. We had about six clients, um, there were a couple that insisted on coming and picking up just because they liked coming over to our home and they liked um, like seeing the flowers in the field. And then um, the more commercial flower shops, it was more of a delivery type of um, system. And it was very manageable for me because I do almost all of that during the week mm. um, by myself. And then when my husband gets home from work at night, he's helping me weed and cut flowers and organize into buckets and clean buckets. And then on the weekend, he was helping me um, with weddings and stuff. And so it's just the two of us. Right. And last summer, we had about, I want to say about 18 inquiries from people wanting to purchase flowers from us on top of our weddings. And what ended up happening is we ended up sending out this big apology letter to everybody because we ran out of flowers mm-hmm. and it was to the, it was, it's wonderful to cut dahlias and be able to say that these are already called for. Mm-hmm. These are, right. these are already sold. These are already gone, but it became unenjoyable because we didn't have flowers for the people that we love and mm-hmm. we didn't have flowers for all of our, we had these big ambitions for the weddings that we would have would be 100% sourced from our farm. And, um, it just didn't happen. And so we're scaling back, we're limiting it to about six to eight florists this year. 
and um, no weddings, just the workshops, and we should be fine. Um, We're also planting significantly more. Last year, we were only growing about 500 dahlias, and this year, we've ordered in 1,500 tubers. Wow. That's crazy. We're hopefully (laughs) looking at producing about 3,000 sunflowers, and then we have... um, a lot of 75-foot rows of basil and other herbs um, planned in there. So I think we're going to have more than enough materials. I'm hoping that we're going to be swimming in too many materials and not enough. Right. But you want to you, you wanna make your uh, core customers happy, and it sounds like that this, these adjustments are, are leading to Correct. a little bit more sanity. Um, Absolutely. You know, I didn't ask you to describe your growing grounds, and um, I know you had some tra- transition with that as well. Can you kind of tell, pe- give people a snapshot of what your farm looks like? Absolutely. So um, we live in a residential neighborhood, um, and this neighborhood used to be a dairy back in the 20s, and um, the dairy started to sell off chunks of um, land to um, make a residential neighborhood. And so all of the homes in our neighborhood are on exactly one linear acre of land. They're Mm -hmm. long, skinny. They're (laughs) long and skinny. And so the homes are really close to each other, but our backyards are massively large and long. Um, And then we're on um, an acequia system, um, meaning that we have water rights here in New Mexico. So between my backyard and the people that live behind us, um, there's a ditch that runs. Um, it's almost like a little creek that runs between all of the backyards. And so once every other week, um, the ditch is filled with water hmm. and you can flood irrigate your backyard. And it's, um, it's a practice that's been around since the Spaniards um, founded New Mexico back in the 1600s and they brought that over with them. It's just um, a watering technique that's still used in Spain today. It's still used in New Mexico, but it's very, we're the only state that has this. Mm. Um, We're the only state that has the sequias and arroyos, and it's just a really unique way of watering. Um, There's a lot of wells in our neighborhood. Kiju and I, um, just because of the amount of weed seeds that come from the ditch water, we use a lot of city water Mm -hmm. uh, to water everything just because it's very uniform. It's very easy to turn off and on. but we live in a 998-square-foot home that we refer to as our cottage. <laughs> um, we have a 1,000-square-foot hoop house in our backyard, and we joke um, that the hoop house is bigger than our home. Yeah, really? Jeez. <laughs> uh, we, we love it. We love it. And we have um, a guest house in our backyard. So between our house and our, um, and our guest house, we have this big covered awning. And so we have this beautiful covered backyard with lots of shade. And that's where we're teaching our workshops in 2018. And then um, we have our personal garden kind of in and amongst that. And then out front, we have a perennial border and we've got lovely shade trees. And then beyond that, um, the owners of our house used to be a, um, a horse owning family. Mm-hmm. And so they have um, our farming section. Um, it's it's separate from kind of like our living area. Mm-hmm. So you have to go through a gate and a fence, and then all of a sudden you're in the growing area. So everything's compartmentalized um, in our in and around our our home, and wow. it's just it's perfect. 
but we're right next door to our neighbors and we have neighbors on either side of us and we've become the the gardening couple on our street. <laughs> and everybody, everybody when they're walking by, oh, how are the flowers doing? Oh, what do you now? And they all, they're always interested in what Kiju and I are, are doing. <laughs> so is Kiju, so Kiju is like a dentist by day and a farmer by, by night and weekend or is it sounds like he he's doing is. this with you? Yeah, so um, my husband um, is from Minneapolis, um, um, and he moved to Omaha, Nebraska to go to Creighton, and then was practicing there in Omaha. He's um, now been graduated for seven or eight years, and we met there in Omaha, and then we were together for, oh, less than a year before we got married. Um, We moved to New Mexico at the one-year point, and... He had found a better job here, so that's how we ended up in um, New Mexico. But he has a passion for gardening that is just as big as mine. I remember on our very first date, we were talking about um, prairie plants, and he started talking to me in botanical names. And so (laughs) we were talking about our favorite trees and perennials and botanical names, and that's the way Kiju and I talked to each other, and I knew... (laughs) <laughs> that like when we met each other on that very first date and we were talking botanical names, it's like, oh, this is going to work out perfect. He's a keeper. <laughs> yeah, he's a keeper. <laughs> he's a keeper. Yeah. Well, it turns out that um, gardening runs in his family as well. And um, his father started the herbarium that's at the Great Falls, Montana um, College. And he was a plant explorer and discovered seven new varieties of liverworts and lichens growing on the side of trees in Canada. And that is kind of how Kiju's passion for gardening started off. Mine started off with my mom's best friend at the time, back in, um, God, when I was 10, I was in Boy Scouts, and she was teaching the gardening merit badge. And I remember sitting in her garage towards the end of February, starting vegetable seeds in um, my dentist. Uh, my mom's uh, friend's garage. And then that's kind of when I fell in love with gardening. And then it started to turn into house plants and it started to turn into my very first vegetable garden outside of my mother's and father's um, home, which was just, I think everybody's first garden is yeah. always a travesty. Like it's, <laughs> it's always a nightmare. Um, I remember I grew cantaloupes and watermelons and green beans and zucchini and scarlet runner beans and everything was a vine. Right. It was just, oh, it was was the biggest nightmare. And then let's just say that um, I gave up on vegetable gardening very quickly and moved over to to perennials and shrubs. And uh, my parents' home there in Omaha, Nebraska is just absolutely beautifully landscaped um, by this point and just looks fantastic. And they've had that garden now going for the past almost 12 years just with everything that's been going into it. And my mom um, has a horticulture degree. And so gardening really does run in both of our families. Wow. I love that. I love that you're blending um, your lifestyle in such a way that you have a a viable business and also it's just what you would be doing anyway. And I think that's a really fortunate place to be. Very few people have that. So absolutely. And you know, we're starting to, with the rebrand, we're starting to move away from the farming aspect of things. And we're starting to refer to it as our extraordinarily large cutting garden. Um, (laughs) 
because I've always, I've always gardened. And then all of a sudden we started calling it our flower farm. But there's been something about that name that just, it hasn't worked for Kiju in the past couple of years. And every single time we say it, it's like, that just sounds so funny because, you know, we live in this really beautiful neighborhood and it's not agricultural, even though the people behind us have a donkey and we have 20 chickens, but it was just like, I want to, you know, I look, I read gardening books and um, some of my favorite quote unquote flower farmers, like Sarah Raven and and she refers to hers as a garden. And I think that garden works better for Kiju and I. Mm-hmm. And so we are referring to ours as a garden. And that makes and sense. It's just such, uh, we, we love it. Well, we and, the, love it. and the fact that you really are opening up your property for workshops and dinners, it, it, there is an aesthetic that you have to maintain for making it a beautiful place for customers to come to. So I'm sure that that's another facet of what you're trying to develop as a place that's, you know, looks like, a, so, you know, an artist lives there. So we have four beds right now running around our back um, patio area where we're going to be teaching our workshops, which look very lackluster right now. And I'm very high strung and my husband would agree with that. And I keep looking at those and it's just like, you need to grow. You need to do something. It was just like, these have got to be beautiful by the beginning of May and Kiju just keeps saying, he's just like, we've never had a problem planting a bed before or having something look beautiful. He's just like, it's going to look fine. But (laughs) yeah, maintaining the garden around our home because nobody wants to show up to a home where the garden looks sad um, for like this beautiful floral workshop because they're going to be like the top half doesn't match the bottom half. And so mm. it's been kind of exciting. Um, we've been putting up a lot of bird feeders around our home and attracting some beautiful wild birds. And we're looking at these four beautiful garden beds around our back patio. We're going to plant them more as like a hummingbird and butterfly garden. Mm. And so we're going to do a lot of different types of salvias and monardas. And it's just going to be all of these lovely plants that attract all of these wonderful hummingbirds Um because New Mexico has seven species of hummingbirds indigenous to it. Wow. And you better oh, then, right? My goodness. You can watch a feeder in June, July, August, September here in New Mexico, and it will have 20 hummingbirds flying around it. And so we want to bring that into our backyard so that when people are doing their workshops and they're working on the flowers, they've got all of these beautiful butterflies and hummingbirds and pollinating insects flying around and doing mm. their business, but it'll definitely <laughs> be bringing a be- it'll be bringing all of the fun and entertaining aspects of the garden to our workshops yeah. as well. And that's going to create the environment that is kind of not to be cut from. I mean, that's really more for the critters and then you'll the cutting will happen in your production rows in your high tunnel, right? <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Please don't cut from my garden bed. <laughs> so have um, you have you announced your workshop schedule yet for 2018? Or I can't remember if I saw that on your website. We're getting ready to start um, advertising it on social media okay. here. I think starting um, Monday, I think we've got a couple scheduled posts to start tomorrow. Um, but we've already started selling um, spots in our workshops. And are your really and who comes to the workshops? Are they more uh, DIY enthusiasts or uh, kind of farmers who want to learn some design or people in the floral industry? Do you have a mix or what, what's kind of your ideal? You know, student? I think I think it's going to be a really pleasant mix. Um, 
we've had some interest from some flower farmers across America as kind of like a fun vacation weekend. Like, mm-hmm. let's go to New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Let's take a workshop. A lot of the DIY um, mommy bloggers here in Albuquerque are loving that, and I love I love mommy bloggers. Mm-hmm. I think that they're they're fantastic, and they are probably what has fueled like flower farming being such a success is them talking about it on their blogs and wanting to be a part of that. And um, so we'll we'll get a good deal of those. I think we'll probably get some brides that want to DIY their own weddings. And so this is a great way for them to learn. But we get that question a lot. The Where can I learn to do floral arranging? How can I do this? Do you offer workshops? And so that's kind of what inspired us to offer our workshops was just the amount of interest from people living here in our community wanting to learn how to arrange flowers. I love that. Well, let's put the schedule. Um, I'll put the link to the, your schedule um, and all your social places on our show notes uh, at DebraPrinzing.com for this episode. And um, That would be wonderful. Yeah, and if people ha- haven't figured out who you are, they can find you now. Did you have to change all your social media from Hong Elder uh, Floral Workroom to yes, Table and Base? Yes, and, and before we even purchased our name um, for the rebrand here in New Mexico, I had to make sure that it was available on Instagram first. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I, I didn't want to be like table and vase, like 444, table and vase <laughs> with, uh, with a hyphen between it. And uh, when I saw that table and vase was available, it was like, no way. Because yeah. originally we were trying to rebrand as um, the flower concierge and it wasn't available. And it was just like, are you kidding me? This isn't available. It belongs to somebody who hasn't posted anything on Instagram and is an inactive account. So that's how we ended up with um, Table and Vase because um, my husband actually came up with the name. He called me on his way back from Super Target. And he's just like, I just thought of a name for your business. And it was just like, well, I don't know how you were inspired for this, but you know what? He said Table and Vase. And it was like, oh my God, I have no arguments about this. You have no arguments about this. It was like clandestine to work. It was uh, just, it was just I love it. perfect. I love it. So you have table and vase and then you have Hong Elder Boys. Are you going to maintain both of those? You know, we actually haven't done anything with Hong Elder Boys. That originally was Mining Kiju's um, first like personal Instagram account. Okay. Um, that one we're not really doing much with these days. That was just kind of like our personal stuff. And then what happened was, we were putting the same content on both pages. Right. And so <laughs> we've just moved over to table and base. So much easier. Okay. Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, we'll share that with people too. And, um, I, you know, I, this has been a really fun conversation. I, I have a, my dearest friend in the world, I, I've told you, is my writing mentor lives in Albuquerque. So I know I'm going to get out to your backyard sometime in 2018. But I'm, now I'm thinking I need to come when I can bring her with me to a workshop Um because uh, it sounds like there's a lot of options this year, and I would love to have that as a good excuse to to jump on the plane and and come down to to visit you guys in person. So that would be wonderful. Come we'll down help. to New Mexico, <laughs> visit Calhoun Flower Farms, visit Emily, come see her new workspace at the Spurline Building. It's just like this building that Emily Calhoun is in. Is yes, just, it's beautiful. It, it's like the live version of Etsy when you walk in. <laughs> 
you feel like you just walked into Etsy's website. Um, oh yeah, well, we had her on the we had her on the podcast to talk about that a, a little while ago. So now I'm yes, I've got to come look at it. <laughs> Please come, come see us cut flowers from our uh, cutting garden, do a workshop. That would uh, be a lot of fun. Okay, anything I didn't ask you, Stephen, that that we you want the world to know at least for today. <laughs> um, you know, not. Not anything that I can really think of. Um, you know, I think that one thing that Kiju and I um, try to do through our social media and when we're talking on um, all of these different growing forums and stuff mm-hmm. is flower farming, gardening, whatever you want to call it, it's easier than you think. And I think the thing that I love about this community is it doesn't matter how big or small you are. You can call yourself a gardener. You can call yourself a flower farmer. I mean, some of us in this industry are growing on 10-foot by 10-foot beds, and that is your farm. Yep, And then you've got people who are on three acres, and it doesn't matter how big or small you are. This is such a giving community, and everybody, what I've noticed is everybody helps each other. Everybody doesn't withhold information. Um, I've noticed that it's just a very kind and inspiring community. And I think that if we could get more people to even just grow on that little 10 foot by 10 foot spot that they have in their backyard, I think that slow flowers could grow so much more. Mm, I love it. That's music to my ears. I know I come out of the gardening, (laughs) the gardening world before I fell down the rabbit hole of floral. So I, I, I believe that what you're saying is true, and gardeners are uniquely positioned to understand the whole idea of seasonal and local and sustainable because they're doing it in their in their own residential right. gardens. And well, you know what's hilarious is I get that I get that um, from people all the time, like, "Oh, I can't grow that. I I don't have a green thumb." And mm-hmm. it was like, you know. I don't think there's such thing as a green thumb. I think it is all trial and error because, quite frankly, Kiju and I killed a lot of plants last year <laughs> that that everybody on social media has no idea about because they only see like the, the beautiful snippets. But what they don't see is like, ooh, look at don't don't look at that row right there. That that row is not so pretty. So <laughs> so it happens to all of us. Right, right. That is so true. Well, and I just I just love that you're leading um, by being inclusive and. Um, developing relationships all around the whole floral world of people you've never met before. And I think that's sort of how I feel about how I got to meet you. So it's, it's just the, we don't want to be glued to our screens and computers, but there is that benefit. Uh, take a break. No, but chances are, but chances are if you message Kiju and I, even if it's not the same day, we're going to respond to you. And if you have a question about gardening, Kiju will spend hours just sitting there, on Instagram, answering people's questions, and oh, he's going to love that, you for suggesting that. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's the one thing that Kiju and I love to do is we love to educate, mm-hmm. and I feel sometimes like I'm a teacher at heart, and I think Kiju to some extent is as well. But sometimes he'll like come home and he'll be like, oh, I'll I'll get onto like Facebook and I'll go to like the flower farmers page, and I'll see that he's like commented on this one and commented on that one and commented on this one. And it was just like, wow, you spend a lot of time <laughs> answering questions. 
I love it. Well, what goes around comes around. You're paying it forward. And, and uh, I know that's going to benefit everybody. So thank you so thank much you. for jumping on the line with me today. And uh, it's just been a delight to talk with you, Stephen. And tell Kiju I'm going to get him uh, on the recording next time, okay? Yes. Thank you so much for everything that you do as well. I think that Slow Flowers is um, a very good endeavor. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, we'll talk soon. And uh, can't wait to share photos of your work and uh, the two of you and some of the um, some of the linens and textiles you're designing. So we'll have a, a nice gallery uh, to share with the listeners of this uh, episode um, when this gets posted, okay? Wonderful. Thank All you right. so much. Thanks, Stephen. You have a wonderful day. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining me today. What a fun conversation, and I can't wait to return to New Mexico to meet Stephen and Kiju in person and to soak in the beauty of flower farming in Albuquerque and beyond. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 282,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for downloading, listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. In fact, I want to report that the month of January ended with 11,220 downloads, our all-time high month of listenership. Isn't that awesome? As the Slow Flowers movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button at deborahprinzing.com in the right column. Thank you to our sponsors who have supported Slow Flowers and all of our programs, including this podcast, American Flowers Week, the slowflowers.com online directory to American Grown Flowers, as well as our new channels, Slow Flowers Journal and the 2018 Slow Flowers Summit. You can find details for all those programs at deborahprinzing.com. Our sponsors include Certified American Grown Flowers, the Certified American Grown Program and Label, provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit americangrownflowers.org. Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of 50 family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing high-quality American-grown peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliages, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top-quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfieldgardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. 
Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com.